Hello! Welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. Last week, I started with a little bit of a rant on the current state of affairs. In it, I mentioned Stefan Clark. Clark was shot dead on March 18th outside his grandmother's backyard in Sacramento by police who were responding to a report that someone was breaking windows. Police said those officers shot at Clark 20 times, that they feared he was holding a gun, a firearm, but it wasn't. It was actually his phone. I'm going to quote now from an Al Jazeera article uh, about something that happened at the funeral. Imam Zaid Shakir called the killing part of a systematic problem. And here is a quote. At some point, you ask yourself, if a system keeps on making these fatal mistakes, at what point is the system disqualified? At what point is the system evil? So we're not here to pacify. We're here to amplify Clark's voice. At the same time, we're hearing the minority black students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School speaking out saying, hey, thanks for listening to our white classmates about gun violence, but what about us? How do you think the black students would feel if we beefed up security at all our schools, if teachers were armed, if there were more cops with guns. In context, it's easy to understand how they might feel less safe, not more safe. And so I bring this up in part to introduce or reintroduce really the idea of discomfort. Why were so many of us proud of the Parkland students for protesting gun violence, as we should be, but Black Lives Matter is called a hate group. Or last year in September of 2017, the president of the Fraternal Order of Police in Philadelphia called Black Lives Matter protesters, and I'm quoting here, a pack of rabid animals. Yeah, that happened. So it's time, once again, to take a look at how we think about and talk about protests and protesters. Take a look at what kind of protest we think is acceptable and what isn't and why we feel that way. Gun violence is a big deal, and the citizens of this country are standing up to say enough. And as we do, let's make sure we mean all the citizens of this country. So here are some facts for background. This from the New York Daily News. Overall, guns kill more than 36,000 Americans each year. But according to a 2015 Brookings Institution study, 77% of white gun deaths are from suicide, and among blacks, 82% are homicides. So you see what's happening there? In white gun deaths, that's happening 77% from suicide and 19-ish percent, they're saying, from homicide. Among blacks, it's the opposite. 14% of gun deaths are suicides, while 82% are homicides. So gun homicides haven't registered as a real crisis for most white Americans, possibly because so many of the victims are black and haven't looked like them. And that's what I'm talking about. It's worth noting that 10, 11% of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas student body is black. A group of those students organized a press conference on Wednesday. So this would be Wednesday past. And they felt that they weren't exactly being heard. They've been overlooked in the coverage of the tragedy. And there's a publication called The Root, via the Miami Herald, reports 
So I'm just want to make sure I'm covering all my bases and I'm reporting correctly where I'm reading this. The Root via the Miami Herald quotes one black student, 17-year-old Kai Korber, said that more cops on campus only meant more people who could treat students, particularly black students, as well as students of color in general, as potential criminals. And those students aren't trying to undermine the efforts of their white classmates. They just want the conversation to be more inclusive. So that conversation about gun violence also includes police violence. Last year at exactly this time, I took a similarly uncomfortable look at my experience of feminism. And the same kinds of issues came up. Just look at the Me Too movement. Why is it that these issues get positive press coverage when the majority of the people speaking out are white? So I want to go back now to one year ago this week when I published an episode called Getting Comfortable with Discomfort or Is It Getting Racist in Here? In that episode, I get to some hardcore self-reflection. I get all navel-gazy. And then I talk about old feminism versus new feminism, putting your phone away, getting cozy with discomfort, and then of course, at the end, we breathe. The reason why I'm going back is, I mean, I think 70 people listened to that episode, so most of you haven't heard it yet. And the reason why I'm going back in addition is that the same things are true. So even if you have heard it before, the same things are true, the same discomforts, the same reflection is needed. And if you wonder what yoga has to do with any of this, here's the quick version. One, yoga teaches us to be okay with discomfort. What's more uncomfortable than a posture you're not good at, but you breathe and stretch and grow and achieve or not, but you breathe and everything is okay. And two, and this is a big one. How is liberation possible if our neighbors are suffering? Standing up for human rights, standing up for our future. That means our whole community, everyone. And maybe, maybe well-off white people don't come out on top. Maybe well-off white people don't dominate in the future. Maybe that's the case. I don't know. But maybe that's okay. Don't we believe as people on a spiritual path that there is enough to go around? Enough love, enough respect, enough dignity and self-actualization. Do we think those are scarce resources that we have to hoard them? If they are scarce, well, then that's an easy fix. Love more. Respect more. Allow more people to live with dignity. Then as a society, we can achieve actualization together. Now is when I pause to tell you things about the show that you might already know. Thank you, first of all, for listening. This show has honestly been a joy for me to do and I couldn't do it without you. I mean, I could. In fact, at the beginning, I did it without anyone. But I was high on adrenaline of change and revolution, and now I eke by on your emotional support. So here are more ways you can support the show. Share it with a friend. Rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave a little review. Really, it tickles me and helps other people find the show. You can find all the episodes on yogafortherevolution.org. I'm on Facebook. Yes, still, I know, topic for another day at facebook.com forward slash yogafortherevolution and facebook.com slash yoga. I have a new website, yoga. I know it's a lot of letters, but my name has letters in it. What can I do? 
On that site, you can get more information about what workshops I'm leading, any retreats coming up, stuff like that. And in either of those sites, you can sign up for the newsletter. Anyone who signs up for the newsletter will get monthly updates from me. Not so many, not so spammy. In the next newsletter, I'll have an exclusive guide to Dasha Chalana, the joint rotation practice I learned in Ayurveda school. And if you want to go to Carrie and Golia Yoga and you don't know how to spell my name, listen up. It's C-A-R-R-I-E-I-N-G-O-G-L-I-A yoga.com. Okay? Without further ado, here's Nellie, followed by my reflections from a year ago, getting comfortable with discomfort. a show about self-care in the age of resistance. I want to start today with a poem by Dana Falds. This poem is called Go In and In. Go in and in. Be the space between the cells, the vast resounding silence in which spirit dwells. Be sugar dissolving on the tongue of life. Dive in and in as deep as you can dive. Be infinite, ecstatic truth. Be love conceived and born in union. Be exactly what you seek, the beloved. Singing yes, tasting yes, embracing yes. Until there is only essence, the all of everything expressing through you as you. Go in and in and turn away from nothing that you find. Early in March, I went to a women's strike rally here in New York. I was excited. I was ready to feel solidarity. And I came away feeling not that. A friend texted me. She was excited too. And she asked how I felt. And I said, I felt like everyone is angry at me. And that was really because I was among a really wide swath of humanity among all different kinds of women with all different kinds of experiences. And they were angry. And they are angry. And, you know, we're saying, fuck false feminism, and we need to reconsider whiteness in this country, and what is privilege all about? And, you know, I thought we might all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and we could, and, you know, we did, and maybe we still can, but I was uncomfortable in that moment. So, why? I had to look in. I had to go in and in and turn away from nothing that I found. Part of what I found is that I do represent or am afraid that I represent some kind of old version of feminism. I mean, not intentionally. It's not like I walked up to the feminism counter and they asked, what kind of feminism do you want? The intersectional everyone kind or just the kind with liberally white ladies? Still, what I mean by that is I surround myself with people I'm familiar with and I'm comfortable with and we work towards common goals, equal pay, equal representation, In my field, in advertising, about 90% of people who do what I do are men. 90%. And I think that sucks. And so I've talked about it and listened to keynote addresses on it and bought my future is female pin and voted for Hillary. And I still think all of those things are good things. But in all of those meetings about letting women have a seat at the executive table, 
we're skirting some issue that really what we're talking about is a certain kind of woman. I mean, aren't, aren't we? But we're not on purpose. But diversity is obviously bigger than gender is what I'm getting at here. There's race and class and identity politics, and it's a big old bucket of stuff. And when people talk about non-inclusionary, non-intersectional feminism as false feminism, I feel that. I recognize that. So I had a little talk with myself, more than one, really, but I asked, what would be my reaction to a pin that said, instead of the future is female, what if it said the future is black, or the future belongs to the unions, or the future isn't yours, lady, hands off? And yeah, that made me uncomfortable. And it made me uncomfortable not because I don't think the future should be black or female or belong to the unions, but a little bit because it's uncomfortable to think that it's not mine for the taking, right? I mean, I, I have been working for a better future for women, so therefore it is a little uncomfortable to think maybe I'm not that woman, right? Maybe it's not my turn. That is uncomfortable. But I'm also uncomfortable with the trope of all of that, There was recently an article, a fiction thing, a satire in McSweeney's with the title, I googled intersectionality, so now I'm totally woke. And the opening paragraph is, you don't have to condescendingly tell me my feminism needs to be intersectional. I already know that because yesterday I googled the meaning of intersectionality. And it just goes on to make fun of this idea that a lot of women are coming to this conclusion that just because you went to a liberal arts college and you studied women's studies and you theoretically believe in the advancement of all women, that doesn't mean you're doing a good job. Uh, That doesn't mean you're really for the advancement of all women. And it is a realization for a lot of people. But just because a lot of people are realizing the same thing at the same time, I don't know. To me, it doesn't seem like worthy of satire. I mean, and it is. Because I might be part of that group, that satire is uncomfortable for me. But it's not like I'm joining some pumpkin spice latte club. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think anyone is writing woke in foam in their latte. And I really hope no one has done that because... <laughs> I can't have been the first person to ever think of that. The point is there's a lot of discomfort here on all fronts because there's discomfort with the idea that, oh, like maybe I'm part of this group that doesn't fully understand what I've been doing and needs to take some responsibility for that. Maybe I'm also uncomfortable because I feel like that realization is being made fun of. And so therefore I am the object of some kind of derision And then there's also some discomfort with defensiveness. Like, well, maybe those are other people that are dealing with that, but maybe it's not me. Uh, Maybe I am enlightened in a different way and I'm not getting woke written in my latte foam. So again, on all fronts, I don't need to parse that all out here publicly for all of us. That's, you know, just stuff I have to think about. But I do think it's important in the public discourse to recognize that there are a lot of reasons for that discomfort. It's okay for me to feel uncomfortable. In fact, I'm coming to a conclusion here that I think it's time for me to be uncomfortable. I don't have any more answers than that. I'm not an apologist or a pretender or, you know, I don't even know what. But on this journey, I think that there's something to be learned by being uncomfortable. In fact, that it is imperative to be uncomfortable in order to learn anything. In yoga, the practice is about being uncomfortable. I mean, that's not the whole point of the practice, but it's a, it's a big part of it. 
you don't have to do yoga to get this. If you've ever trained for a race or gone to a high intensity interval training class or any workout class, you know this. You don't get any work done in your comfort zone. The bar method talks about this. If you spend the whole class in your comfort zone, then you know why did you pay money to go there? You could have just sat on your couch and been comfortable. And the same thing is true in yoga. Now, those of you who've practiced with me know that I don't do or teach yoga as a competitive practice. So I'm not talking about you know, looking like the cover of Yoga Journal or sweating it all out with jump backs and arm balances and inversions, though that stuff is valuable. And if that practice benefits you, then yeah, please do that. But what I find to be more interesting is finding the edge, the place where comfort and discomfort meet, and then staying there. Just stay there. Don't run away from it. Don't immediately flow into another posture. Don't let the mind wander. Don't run away. Instead, commit. Be there. Be present in that moment of discomfort and learn from it. Again, if you've ever taken class from me, you know my favorite pose is chair pose. It's also called lightning bolt or awkward pose or strong pose. For those of you who don't know it, it's the one where you stand with weight in your heels and then move the tailbone back as if you're trying to sit in a chair that's just a little too far behind you. Your torso stays up, your back is long. So your chest, your sternum is facing forward, the tailbone is long, weight is in the heels, and then you just stay there and breathe. And it kind of sucks because even though it's not a complicated pose, it's not side crow or dancers or whatever you might think of when you think of a complicated pose, it is challenging. And I say to my students, just breathe and stay here and notice. What does the mind do? Does it argue with you? Does it argue with me as the teacher? Just sit in the discomfort and know you are not going to die. You will not die from chair pose. Discomfort is okay. It's fine. You will survive discomfort. As a side note, I'm not talking about pain. That's totally different. There's no reason to stay in pain if you can help it. And that's a lot. A lot of us don't know the difference, but that's kind of a thing for another day. All right, how about this? You could do it this way. Take a glass of water and hold it in your hand with your arm straight out in front of you. You can even bend at the elbow. Now, just stay there for a minute, for five minutes. After a while, it's going to be uncomfortable. Your brain will say, yep, we're done here. I don't want to hold this thing anymore. Why are we doing this? Can we please do something else now? And that's discomfort. You're not going to die from holding that glass of water. There's no real risk for injury. Your mind will almost always give out before your body. And it's the mind that we really have to train to practice staying in discomfort. And why? Because that's where the work is done. That's where new and interesting things happen in the discomfort. And that is something we as a culture don't do a hell of a lot of. We have our phones to distract us. We have a lot to distract us. I mean, can you put your phone away for five minutes? I'm not going to really go into that now because that's not really the main point. But what I'm saying is what is true on the mat is true off the mat. If I attend rallies or marches or take part in activities only with people who look like me and who have had similar experiences as me and who share my basic way of thinking and way of living, that's comfortable. But it's not where the real work is for me. 
For me, and I imagine for many of us, the real work is going to be a little bit more uncomfortable than that. Last week, I talked about the Buddhist monk Thap Dung, and he reminded us that, and I'm quoting here, Trump is not an alien who came from another planet. We produced Trump, so we are co-responsible. Our culture, our society made him. We love to pick somebody and make them the object, but it's deeper than that. We have to see him inside of us. So, yeah, that's uncomfortable. I don't want to hold that. My instinct for self-preservation says, yeah, I don't want to hold that glass of water. That's not my damn glass of water to hold. But maybe it is. So what I want to do here together is a breathing exercise that will help us in our aim for discomfort. Yes, we can hold the glass or hold chair pose, and that's good. I always say if you can hold chair pose for a few minutes a day and survive, then you you won't want to push anyone down the subway stairs because it's about patience with yourself, with other people. But there's another way to practice this, and it comes with a breath practice called uh, Antara Kumbhaka. You do not have to let that name scare you. It's breath retention after an inhale. That's all it is. So a few cautions here. Don't do this if you're pregnant or you have eye or ear problems, high blood pressure or nervous system conditions. For the vast majority of people, this is fine. Be gentle with yourself. We're not going to be holding the breath in for longer than we inhale, meaning we'll count our breath in and then hold for that long and then exhale slowly and we'll ease into it any more than that. And I'd recommend working with a teacher in person. Before we begin the breath practice, I want to thank you for listening to Yoga for the Revolution. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or Pocket Cast. Please do rate us if you're so inclined. Or you can always find all the episodes on yogafortherevolution.org. There's also a contact us on the site. Share your voice. Let me know what you're thinking. Please react to some of this. You know, I'd love to hear other voices. You can also talk to me on Facebook at facebook.com slash yoga for the revolution or follow us on Twitter at Y underscore F underscore T underscore R. So let's prepare for breathing. Find yourself a comfortable spot, a place where you can sit or stand for a few moments uninterrupted. Elongate the spine while keeping your rib cage and pelvis parallel. Keep the chin parallel. Sometimes when we go to sit tall, we actually extend open, lifting the chin, but we want to get tall from the crown of the head. So keep the chin parallel to keep the spine aligned, all while getting more room inside the body to breathe, more room for the lungs to expand. And for now, first, simply bring your awareness to the breath. Don't change anything yet. Just notice it. Is it easy? Is it stuck? Is it shallow or deep? Just notice and take a few breaths here. Now we're going to harness the breath by breathing in on four counts and exhaling on six counts. So breathing in, two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four, five, six. Breathing in, two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four, five, six, and in. Two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four, five, six.
Let that go. Come back to your normal breath. We'll do that again in a second. And this time, notice the transition between the inhale and the exhale. See if you can make that transition as smooth and seamless as possible. It can help to, instead of thinking of the inhale and exhale as separate things, think of a loop. And you're simply circulating the breath around that loop. Getting ready to count the breath again. Breathing in. Two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four, five, six. Breathe in. Two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four, five, six. Breathe in. Two, three, four, and out. Two, three, four, five, six. And let go of that control. Return to your normal breath. And just notice, the next thing we'll do is add a retention on the inhale. So we'll breathe in for four, just like before. But instead of that smooth transition to exhale, we'll have a smooth transition to hold for four counts and then a smooth transition to exhale. So I'll count this out for you. Getting ready to count the breath again. Breathe in. Two, three, four, and hold. Two, three, four, exhale. Two, three, four, five, six. Breathe in. Two, three, four, and hold. Two, three, four, exhale. Two, three, four, five, six. Breathe in. Two, three, four, and hold. Two, three, four, exhale. Two, three, four, five, six. And let go. Return to your normal breath. And in your mind, pause for a moment here and just notice. Notice if there was any discomfort in the holding. Notice your mind. Were you able to stick with it or did your mind wander? Were you fully engaged or did you get bored? And all of that is okay. That's, that's all why this stuff is a practice. Maybe for you, the hold wasn't uncomfortable. Instead, the boredom was uncomfortable. Whatever it was, the idea is to stay in the discomfort and to stay safe in that discomfort, to find peace in the discomfort, because that is when new information comes up. That is when we can really learn something. We may not know exactly what it is we need to learn. But we do know we're not going to get there by being comfortable. And so by practicing a very, very safe version of discomfort, we can get the mind used to it. Get the mind used to feeling just slightly uncomfortable. And then when we learn things, it will call us back to that place. And we can revisit that place of discomfort over and over and over again, knowing that discomfort is not a bad thing. It's a tool for learning. It's a place where we can really discover 
new things about ourselves and about the people around us and about the world around us. It's not so scary. It's just not cozy. And that's okay. It's okay not to be comfy, cozy all the time. And I, I talk to you guys about that because it's the same thing I need to learn. I need to learn to not be comfy, cozy all the time. And that's where I'm going to learn all the new exciting things when I go in and in and don't turn away from anything that I find. So until next time, don't be afraid of a little discomfort. Keep breathing and live to fight another day.